0: I like this guy, you won't at first, but let's face it, that's the way good people are sometimes. They come across, it's kind of like, let's face it, Jägermeister. Who the hell likes Jägermeister when they first taste it? But eventually, you know what, you get drunk enough, it starts to feel good.
1: Welcome to Extreme Ags Cutting the Curve. More than just a podcast, it's the place for insights you can apply immediately to your farm operation for increased success. This episode of Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Ag Explore, with innovative products that improve fertilizer efficiency, protect yield, and reduce stress. Ag Explore helps maximize field potential. Find out how Ag Explore can help you get more out of your crop at AgExplore.com. And now, here's your host, Damian Mason.
0: Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. I am so excited to introduce you to somebody that I have now become buddies with. His name is Temple Rhodes. He's a Maryland farmer, and he's going to be an affiliate here with Extreme Ag. Affiliate meaning he's not one of the original five founders, but he also has got great stuff to contribute. He's going to be telling us about some of the practices he does there in the Chesapeake Bay region that are different than you could get away with in other parts of the world. He's going to talk about some of the unique challenges he has because of where he farms in the eastern shore area he's also going to tell us about his trials he's got a lot of cool stuff that he's doing there he's a sharp dude he's a, he's a farm guy he also has a side business so you're going to get entrepreneurial information farm information and you're going to get it from a different perspective ladies and gentlemen
2: meet temple Rhodes. how you doing Damien? i'm glad to be uh um part of all this. It's been fantastic. I kind of think of myself as a fungus kind of grow on you as time. Maybe not exactly how Damien uh, put me out there, but uh, yeah, as Damien said, we're in the Chesapeake Bay watershed, so things are very, very different in our area. Um, It really changes the way that we look at things, so I mean I guess all of us guys across the country are trying to make changes and I feel like the farmers in our area have been making changes for a very long time. And there are changes that we've had to make because we were forced to make them. So we're right here, 45 minutes from DC, 45 minutes from Baltimore, 45 minutes from Philadelphia, um, where we are sitting up on the Eastern shore. Um, we're kind of like the, the mini, it's the mini Midwest. I mean, we're, we're flat, we're pretty much wide open for the most part. Um, a lot of people commute live here and then commute to your cities for their jobs. Um, so all eyes are on us. And when we say that we farm right on the water's edge, I mean we have fields that are right on the water's edge. So we have to be very, very particular about everything we do. You know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is every ounce counts. We have to make sure that we are – efficient as we can um at all times.
0: Yeah. So it was a couple decades ago. Well, first off, I want to hear more about your operation, but then I want to get into specifically some of the trials you're doing. And then the main thing we want to cover is the the challenges you have because as you said being on the water's edge. I've been hearing about that for a long time. About your operation. Uh you've got some family uh you've been there for a while. Go ahead and give hey. us the, the skinny on your operation. So
2: um I know this is hard to believe but my children will be the ninth generation of farmers right here on the Delmarva. Um, so we're from here originally, and we've been here for a long time farming. So both on my mother's and my father's side, there's uh, farmers on both sides. There's some watermen um, who commercial fishing on uh, my mother's side and farmers, and then on my father's side, it's pretty much all farm background. So we talk a lot about being tradition bound. And that's one of the things that I tried to break myself out of. You know, we always do what our fathers do, our fathers did what their grandfather did, so on and so forth. So that became a hard shell to break out of. But I've always been, uh, for lack of better terms, very different. Um, I'm never happy with anything. Uh, Not that I'm a naysayer. I'm not a naysayer. But if something doesn't work to exactly how i think it should work i have no problem with cutting welding taking it apart and rechanging everything about it and that's one thing that my father taught me very well to to do those things to make those changes because they might make you money but a lot of times you're just going to make a pure out mistake you know and when in mistakes we find huge successes so there's a lot of that i make a ton of mistakes Hey, but wait so a minute! Wait, family,
0: wait, wait a minute! Our our co-founder Chad Henderson says there's no such thing as mistakes. There's just trials that didn't uh, that didn't equal success. I think is what he says. He says something about there's yeah, no. He's right?
2: he's got some little say. I think that's why Chad and I get along so well. Um, he sees a lot of uh, me and him, or him and me, whatever whether you want to put it. There is a ton of and Chad's right. There is a there. He's exactly right, but you make so many mistakes along the way, and I have never made a mistake without learning something. That's a that's the hard lesson learned, but it's the lesson that you learn that sticks the most. So you, you know, know what's, what's So that's kind of how.
0: I what's interesting is that you're you're joining a. A platform that is educational, but it's also we're telling all the people, as we always do, and the listeners know this: learn from our mistakes. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hit some home runs, we're gonna some base hits, and we're also gonna tell you, you know what, we flopped, or even if we trial a product and say, hey man, we flopped with this product. We're honest about that, and I think that that's a, a great thing because. Um, you know how in corporate America now they talk about the last 10 years, the SWOT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And all those corporate people, Temple, get in that little boardroom and they all talk about, oh, I want to talk about our company's strengths. And they're all a bunch of ass lickers that want to basically just talk to each other about their strengths, strengths, strengths. And it's like, why don't we admit we got some weaknesses here? And we got some real threats. You know, we got the threat of irrelevance. And we got the weakness that we won't be honest about what we're doing wrong. And the great thing is what you're talking about and what I like about the extreme ag guys is like, hey, you know what? I know what my strength is. I know what my weakness is over here. And I I know what some threats are to my operation. And that's an important thing. Threat to your operation is, in my opinion, like you said, um, you want to be the ninth generation for your kids. You better make sure that you're always looking at things not like grandpa did. It's good to have. And I, you know, we, we say that we don't know that grandpa wasn't forward looking. He must've done something right. So the reality is you want to look forward and say, what's ag going to do tomorrow. That's going to make it harder on my kids or what adjustment can I make so that we're still here and, and relevant and thriving. And I guess when you look at some of those things, you're a little bit, I think
2: the, I think the real secret is never become complacent. And that's the greatest thing about the extreme ag group. They're not complacent with anything, ever. You know, they'll they'll make change, they'll tell you the truth, they're the most honest people in the world, and if you have a problem before you make a mistake, if you're a member of the group, you legit, that's what I did, get on the phone, call them, they'll answer every one of your questions and it can save you a boatload of money never become complacent. That should be their logo because that's what they all are. They're never complacent. Hey, let me talk They're
0: about this. Let's talk about then the operation. Um, I think you told me before we hit the record button or maybe it was on a phone call, uh, about five to 6,000 acres.
2: Uh, yeah, we're a little less than that, but we're, so it's, it's, a, it's kind of a conglomeration of, of people. So it's my father. He still farms. He's 82 years old, still farms, still badass, still gets up at 4, 4.30 in the morning, works all day, um, puts in a full day every day, and then my nephew, and then my one of my sons, and then there's me. So um, as the more people that come in, the more we grow, we do a bunch of other stuff. We run a hunting business during the wintertime. It helps bring in a little more income for everybody. So we do a bunch of things my daughter and a couple of the other um, children my sons they have a show cattle business so there's a there's always something going on there's and I think that that's what you'll see with all of the guys in extreme Ag, you know, a lot of the guys that are out there that are you know busting their rear ends they we have a bunch of different things we don't rely on any one income it's a bunch of incomes coming in from a bunch of different directions. I mean, so, my so mother,
0: by the way, we talk about diversification of income and diverse. You know, there's when corn's $8, you think, why do I need to be diversified? I'm going to just have all the $8 corn I can have. And then when corn's yeah. back down to 380, you say, Boy, I'm sure glad that we have these three other ancillary businesses that bring in some revenue around here because we're barely breaking even on 380 or We're losing money on that. So diversify. Well,
2: dad that a long time ago. What's that? I said dad taught me that a long time ago back when I was young and he had um, 200, 250 head of Angus um, commercial cattle. And some years we were like, you know, you bust your butt with the cattle and you're like, man, we're not making any money. Like what's going on? And he said, just wait when, the, when the other markets go down, that one's going to be the one that carries us through. And there's been years where if it wasn't for that extra income somewhere else, yeah. we would have been in real trouble, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's the kind of things that people, you know, they, they, some people miss out on and it's for us, it's not just about grain farming. and, Um, It's about all of the above and everybody has their own interest. You know, with our children, um, each one of them have different interests. And what's funny is, is they are all good in their own areas. So the important thing for, you know, me and my wife and our entire family, we strengthen people in the areas that they're good at. If they're good at something, We let them continue with that because then it becomes a a passion for them to do that. So they're never complacent, they'll take it another step. So everybody kind of has their own areas. So speaking of areas, let's talk about you
0: because you seem to really uh, be the grain guy and maybe you've got other things. Let's talk about the grain operation. But first off, y- going back a few minutes, you said here on the De- Delmarva, remember we have followers and listeners that are from Mississippi. We have followers and listeners that are from Nebraska and Kansas. And they're saying, what the hell is he talking about? I know what you're talking about because I've been there. What's the Delmarva?
2: Delmarva is Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, and it's kind of the, a- um, it's the eastern region of the of that area that is more farmland. That's the Delmarva, um, so that's kind of the I don't know the the breadbasket of our region. It's pretty much what it is. So the Delmarva,
0: and and there's somebody that's out in Western Kansas saying, "I've heard about farmers out there. What do they grow? Uh, tell us, because it's really not all that different. Are they, you know, it's not like." Man, you know,
2: Matt Miles, when I first met him, thought he was like, "Who farms in Maryland's all pavement?" Um, So that is the belief, and it is like that somewhat um, on the western shore of Maryland, and in areas there's there's high traffic, um, but in our area, Matt was just up here a couple weeks ago. He flew up with a friend of his, and we toured all around. And he was like, this is not that much different than my area. Like you're very flat. You are irrigated here. Of course, we have pivot irrigations here. It very differently, but he's like, I'm just amazed that it's not that different. And it's, and it's really not. I mean, average size is probably, oh, I'm going to say 50 acres probably is our average size field. And we've got some, you know, that are two, three, 400 acres um, big. So, I mean, it is a big area here. But there's a lot of focus in our area on regulation. They regulate everything. And it's because we're so close. We're on the Chesapeake Bay, but we're so close to D.C. We're 30 minutes from Annapolis. Um, So there is all eyes are on us at all times.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about that. Um, And this has been going on for a while. I made the crack 10, 20 more years ago that – the chicken litter there's a lot of chicken production it turns out in that area and then they put the chicken litter on the fields and the next thing you know the the people that live on the shore of chesapeake bay in their beautiful homes all say well the chesapeake bay has these uh, pollution problems because of those damn chicken farms and when kim lawn comes out and sprays their yard every three weeks it's never that that causes problems for the bay it's always the agriculture that causes problems for the bay They never quite see themselves as the issue it's never that their sewage uh, backup caused problems the bay it's always on the chicken farm so you've you've been after this for a long time but the reality is you live there they outvote you they outcontrol you and so you have to farm around this and this has been going on for a long time. What's the unique challenge that you got to do because of the environmental and the nutrient management plan?
2: So, they came out with a nutrient management plan. It's part of our law that we have to we have to um, abide by, and we have to report every ounce of fertilizer that we use, you know, NPK. So it really. So what we've seen over the years. There's only a certain amount of phosphorus that we can use because there's runoff. You also got to remember we're in lower CEC soil. So the environmentalists have, they really do have um, a legitimate argument because with our low CEC soils, everything in our soil is a little bit volatile. So stabilizers is a big deal um, being, you know, anything that gives us more efficiency, spoon feeding the crop, all of these things become... A pretty major component and what it's done for the farmers of the chesapeake bay it's made them figure out at what stage does every plant whether it be corn soybeans or wheat barley whatever it's made us find out exactly when it needs it when it needs it and if we can do that and we can fertilize in stages or spoon feed that crop all throughout the crop we can still grow a good crop we can grow a very good crop but we have to watch what we're doing. But what we found is, is over the years, we are depleting our soils. To a certain degree, we're depleting them. Now, we're also got a lot of tie-up. So a lot of things that happen with poultry manure, there's a lot of poultry houses here. We're known for that, you know. um, Purdue, Allen's, um, Tyson is a little bit further, south of us, Mount Air. Um, There's a ton of chicken companies here so there's a lot of litter produced here, but we utilize it all here, um, but we can't utilize, we, we don't have enough to fertilize all over acres. So there's a lot of commercial fertilizer involved, but every ounce of manure that we use, every ounce of commercial fertilizer that we use, it all has to be reported to, the, um, to Maryland Department of Agriculture. And then they are telling us, by our soil samples, exactly what we get to use the very next year on that specific um, parcel. So it becomes a very big challenge for us. My question for you is, you
0: said, OK, it's, it's probably good because judicious usage of the stuff versus just flinging it everywhere is better for the environment. And it's also should be better for your pocket. You're not just blowing the stuff every which way. Right. But right. you you saying that long-term we're mining the soil. Are we actually are we mining it or minding it? Are we doing the right thing or are we, are we long-term hurting our, you know, you, you want this to be the ninth generation, uh, roads farm. <laughs> are we, yeah. are we doing the right thing?
2: To be honest with you, um, kind of up in the air, I, 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 see both sides of the fence. I see because I live on the Chesapeake Bay and we, you know, what I mean, the kids fish out there and we're catching Maryland crabs out there and it's a recreational source and, and it's, you know, it brings a lot of money to our area with the fisheries and stuff. So we, we all work together, but I can promise you, I can show you over the last 15 years and I can show you everybody's phosphorus um, in their soils, and we are absolutely starting to deplete it. And it's really hard to catch up. One, especially when you're in this situation. Now you can put a little bit more, you know, poultry manure on if you can get a hold of it, right. and it'll help bring those values back up. But there's a certain amount of all these phosphorus blends, whether it's commercial or it's organic they're still tied up. So it's getting to be more of a point of, can we maintain, uh, and I believe we can, I think that we can maintain where we are, and can we utilize? So that's our focus point. Okay, so my
0: question there is, It doesn't look like the regulation, the regulatory environment is going to change. In fact, what's happening there is probably coming to the rest of us, meaning you're not going to go, they're not going to say, oh, you know what, we were wrong. Go fling that fertilizer everywhere. It's more likely that your rules are going to come to Indiana, where I live. Uh, you know, we saw it in Ohio, Temple, Lake Erie had a blue algae bloom or whatever it was called. And by golly, what'd they say? Well, we got some fertilizer issues with the North Ohio agriculture and we're going to go out there and start really putting our finger on this. And that's what happened there. So this is probably coming to all of us. Can you, can you through technology and practices and new products produce
2: and still comply? Yes. Okay. Um, what we're finding is so what what they tie down to us is the is the true npk of their mer- of their you know the macros now we can maintain and we can grow a great crop through all the things basically that extreme ag is looking at whether it's a pgr whether it is some type of fertilizer enhancement whether it is a stabilizer whether it is of seed treatment, all of these things are helping us maintain our yields. And I believe through all these different things that we're doing that we can maintain and we can keep our levels where they are and we can make every ounce count. And I truly believe that because we're seeing the efficiency and levels like I've never seen before.
0: Well, obviously you, you're the kind of person that doesn't want to be mining the soil. So these products that we're talking about, like uh, you're talking about NutriCharge, you, you know, you're talking about things that where you can help improve uptake, because there are some cases where there are nutrients there and we're not getting to them. Um, but again, there's the replacement issue. So tell me how these products work and we still are making sure that we're putting the nutrients back into the soil. The most important the most important is
2: so, that we own. So we're able to maintain for the most part, but keep in mind, you know, in our nutrient management plan, let's say if I'm allowed to put down, you know, 50 to 60 pounds of actual phosphorus down, um, what good is that 50 or 60 pounds if it's just adding to what's in my soil? Another thing is, is how much, let's say that if we put that in the soil and there's there's a portion of it that's tied up, and it's not getting utilized, is that running off into the bay? Probably so to a certain extent. Is the soil sample actually correct? Because if it's, if it's tied up into the soil, is the soil sample actually getting the exact right reading or can we untie some of these things and actually get them into the plant? So I believe that we can maintain. I believe that we can get to the levels that we need to get to. I believe that we can save the Bay. I believe all of these things through the practices that we're learning, that we're actually learning. I mean, there's a ton of trials. And what's important is, is it's not just me out here at the Chesapeake Bay that's trying to do the right thing and doing all the trials. Most of the farmers out here are very much like me. Um, maybe even more so, they run their own trials. We're trying everything under the sun. Doesn't matter whether it's a stabilizer or whether it's a micronutrient or learning stages of plants and get on exactly what that plant needs at that stage through tissue samples. So we tissue sample every seven to 10 days, no longer than 10 days, but usually every seven. And we are we are applying a little bit of time. But I mean, just because it's tissue sample says that you're low in, let's just say, for beans, molybdenum. It doesn't mean that you need to go out there and apply mildly at that point because it depends on where that stage of the crop is. Or potassium at time of grain fill, you know, when you see potassium dip during grain fill, a lot of people's like, man, I need to get out there and I need to put on potassium right now. But you, but you don't because – that you have to understand what that plant's doing at that time. So I think through education and not being complacent, there's a lot to learn. And there's so much more to learn than what we know right now. It's mind boggling. So I got a question for you about the uh, replacement stuff and some of the tests you're
0: doing. you're doing some trials that we're going to be checking in with you about come June, come July, come August. Uh, I want to know about a couple of them. One uh, where you're, you're using NutriCharge. You're excited about that. It's an agri product and that improves uptake. What else do you got going on? You want to tell us about
2: um, Well, you want to talk about NutriCharge real quick, because I can tell you um, what's the promise. What's that-
0: the, hey, let's just do this. What's the problem. And then the promise of the product that you hope to find
2: out through the trial. Okay, so the problem is is in our area, as we've talked, we have phosphorus problems and we can't utilize enough of it. And we can't get on enough to utilize what our uptake actually needs to be. So in order to do that, we're gonna put NutriCharge in there to try to help our efficiency and get more in the plant. NutriCharge talks a lot about getting 30 to 40% more uptake into the plant tissues. If that's the case, the number dramatically changes. So we've tried that on a bunch of different things. We've tried it on. We actually put it on wheat this year. Um, And I'll tell you real quick about it. I was looking at some health maps the other day, and all of a sudden I get to one farm and I'm like, what is going on? There's a straight line in it. And then over here in one corner, it's greener in these two spots. And I'm like, "I I don't know what's going on here. And I go back and look at my application map. It was where I added charge. So, being that I added charge to that, I changed my health in my plans so much that the health maps from the satellites picked it up to the line, to my application map. So, you so you're telling, So, wait, so,
0: wait, so the, pro- the problem, obviously, was you can't put on phosphorus. You're being heavily monitored. And then the, the promise of the product that you are experimenting with was that it improves your uptake. And then you're telling me that within how long you actually saw imagery, satellite imagery that proved that three weeks, how many weeks, three, three weeks. You saw, you saw satellite imagery that tells you the product was doing what you wanted it to do.
2: Yeah. It was three weeks almost to the day. And I couldn't believe it. And immediately, as soon as I, as soon as this happened, I called Rob Debman. I'm like, dude, check your email right now. So he checks it and he's like, what's this? I'm like, that's the NutriCharge study that he sent up here for me to do. He immediately calls, you know, one of the head honchos um, at the company. Boom. He He gets on there and we get on a conference call. And he said, he told us, to be honest with you, he wasn't that surprised. I was getting ready to jump up and down. He said, we see this all the time. It really does work. And not only does it work on the phosphorus level, if you have phosphorus added in with a blend of nitrogen, it also helps as a stabilizer. So we got multiple facets happening here, and, and the reason that it can uptake it is just incredible. When it changes the charges there, where the plant can actually make it available to them, I mean, it's it could be a changer. So we did a bunch of different studies. Um, on corn and beans as well. So we're doing in-furrow on beans. We're doing in and two-by-two. So we put a high um, phosphorus blend that we put on our beans because what we found over the years is beans actually love phosphorus more than you would think. And there's more phosphorus uptake at an early stage in soybeans than what corn actually is. Which, you know, We found that out years ago. So we're making, we got trials of in-furrow and two-by-two. We got just two-by-two, just in-furrow. And we're doing corn and beans both ways. And we're trying to nail down an exact regimen so we can come up with a real recipe. So we got, I don't know, there's six or eight trials out there.
0: That's all on phosphorus uptake or all nutrient uptake? That's.
2: It is on phosphorus uptake, but what we're finding is, is from the tissue samples that Rob Debman has so far on nutri 되지- trials, so far that he has, it's much more than just phosphorus. He's finding that his okay. phosphorus load is heavier, his calcium load is heavier, his manganese load is heavier. So we're, we're under the belief that it's changing more than just phosphorus uptake.
0: Yeah. So that's an interesting thing that phosphorus was the one we were hunting. And then by hunting that, it's kind of like we keep getting better at this. We used to think it was all about throw more, throw more N, P and K out there. No, no, no. we got to have the calcium. We have the boron, all these kinds of things. And now we're finding by improving phosphorus also our other, our traces come up as well. Is that what I'm hearing? We're,
2: we're, we're tripping over, you know, for lack of better terms, we're tripping over a mistake, you know, like it's not really a mistake, but it's something that's found know uh-huh. the roundup gene got found they weren't hunting for it All right. they just found it All right same
0: thing. you've got a few other trials going you're going to be doing stuff with some seed uh you're going to be doing some stuff with some fungicide and we're going to be checking with you again to keep uh telling our listeners about this because i think it's pretty cool stuff real quick you're doing seed you're doing agrigold uh, versus some com- competition you're doing agrigold against itself real quickly on that mm-hmm. and then tell us about fungicide and then we'll let you go
2: so we are doing, um, at my farm, my home farm where I, where I live, where my shop is, we do a field day every year for farm credit. Farm credit is our, you know, it's our banking agency around here. Um, they put down, put out a seed trial, of variety trial, And it's everybody is invited to come to that thing. Now, I am an agri producer. Um, I've been using agri for years, really like the seed um i also put so it's agri-gold against every seed out there every variety in our area and then we do just a straight agri-gold trial for myself and for them for data we do another one for um uh, two other companies you know a bear company and then a couple other companies so we we are constantly trying new things all the time again not being complacent uh we do some seed trials for soybeans as well cuz Uh, it seems I, I know beans maybe a little bit better than I know corn sometimes. Um, and that's kind of where my passion is, but so we're doing a bunch of different trials. I've been doing trials for fungicides, uh, for for years for a bunch of different companies. BASF is one of them. Um, I've made tremendous leaps and bounds with fungicides. With BASF, I've got a really big story to tell um, that is kind of a home run. It's pro- it's pretty long and it's pretty lengthy, but it was from BASF and it started a change of mindset from a very long time ago. Well, we probably should when will you be? Hey, here's a question. We'll, we'll get to that
0: this summer. When will you be typically June, July is when we're starting to get into more fungicide season. You're part of the world, right? Yep, yeah, we are. All right. So why don't you and I revisit the fungicide. In fact, we'll make a, uh, an episode just about that, because I think it's important. I'm assuming we have uh, human conditions. We, you know, we got all this issue. Uh, so I want to hear about the fungicide, uh, trials that you're doing then. And then, uh, you had one other thing that you were doing. That I thought was neat. I think you told me you're doing, um, uh, short corn because of uh, residue management. Is, is I hear that right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, a, a few, quite a few years ago, we've, we've been having, we playing a lot of irrigated corn. So with 300 bushel corn comes a ton of residue. Um, we are doing some short corn trials for another company and they are trialing out here. I think it's going to be between 40 and 60 acres. That'll be behind my shop and it'll be open to the public and they'll be able to come in and see it. So there is less residue. You can get a conventional sprayer over the top. You don't need to wait for the airplane. You don't need to have to have, uh, you know, a certain high board to get across it. You don't need any of those things. But the, the problem that the guys up north, we fight and other guys even further north, is residue. Like we were fighting this residue come spring and how do you handle that? So we started using a bunch of different products, you know, whether it's be a humic or humic and um, and sugar, mixed with a UAN, whatever it may be, I've done a bunch of different trials. We did one last year with uh, Mariston. So what we're finding out is we can actually break down this residue. We can get it back into the soil profile. We can actually utilize some of the nutrients out of it. Because you know, with the fodder, that breaks down around here is three to five years out before it's totally broke down. So we can reutilize it. So again, we're already in an area that is low in nutrient value. So we want to utilize every bit of our stover and put it back into the store. And we're finding out that some of these third party, um, you know, out of the box thinking companies have some of these products that really really work and they break it all down and not only does it help you break it down it also when you're back in there whether it should be huge to a no-tiller guy you know the no-till guys out there in the world and we are somewhat no-till here but we're mainly strip till we strip till but that should be huge to those guys because you have to be able to break down that that residue to get it back in the soil. And that three to five-year period, if you're not applying anything, could be much longer in a no-till situation before you break it down and you get that back down into your soil profile.
0: Yeah, so how many good.
2: years do you want to wait?
0: Letting stuff levelized or back. Letting stuff, well, that's These dollars, you know, these dollars, uh, you talk about return on investment. If you're spending the kind of money you are now, and then you're not getting it back for five years, you're losing a lot of money. Hey, one thing I can tell you, Temple, a dairy farm kid, Uh, two things. First off, short corn bad for silage. I just, I know that. Okay. That'd be called bad for tonnage. Secondly, if you chop corn silage, you never have a residue problem. That's the second thing I can share with you from a dairy farm background. Uh, All right um strip tilling we don't do a lot of discussion about that it's another one i want to get you back on a talk about unique challenges or also opportunities because of your ability to strip till i want to hear more about the fungicide stuff come summer i want to hear more about your uh, other experiments and trials you're doing there temple roads going to be with us uh, doing trial stuff going to be with us on our webinars if you're a listener if you're uh if you're an extreme ag fan listener member please keep up with what he's doing remember a little different geography a little different part of the world little different challenges out there a little different uh lessons you can get from what he's doing leave me with something what do you got for me never
2: be complacent
0: I knew you were going to say that because you said that at the beginning and you said it at the middle. I knew you were going to go with that, and I think that's a great
2: lesson. (laughs) And and I think, um, you know, never be complacent and honestly, you know, break out of the box. Don't be completely tradition-bound. Everything that your father and your grandfather has told you, don't be stuck in that box. Don't be afraid of change because change is good. It's the only thing that's inevitable is change
0: yeah and uh and and also it's okay to to it's okay to decide you made a little mistake once in a while because you're implementing some new stuff, but you don't have to make tremendous mistakes. You can learn from us. That's what we do here at Extreme Ag. There are literally almost 100 of these podcasts now in the the backlog, so go to ExtremeAg.farm. Share it with your friends, your farming and non-farming friends alike. Keep up with all the stuff we're doing here. Follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, and we are on Facebook. I'd give you the exact address, but by now, you probably know how to just type in Extreme Ag and find us on both those two platforms. He's Temple Rhodes. I amy mason thanks for being here buddy thank you buddy Till next time it's cutting the curve
1: thanks for listening to another edition of cutting the curve for more information that you can apply to your farm operation visit extremeag.farm are your crops stressed out ag explorer has you covered with a full line of products to help protect your crop from environmental stressors such as cold and wet or heat and drought check out agexplore.com and start protecting your yields and profits